Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast, a series of elevated conversations with Cape Cod creatives. This project is a collaboration between the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod and Provincetown Community Television, recorded at the Night Owl Recording Studio at the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. It is an ode to the artistic process and its unique manifestation here on Cape Cod, seeking to reveal the successes, challenges, and experiences of local artists. Above all, it is a reminder that arts matter in our community. Welcome to the Creative Exchange Podcast. I'm Amy Davies, the Executive Director of Provincetown Community Television. And I'm Julie Wake, the Executive Director of the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod, continuing our exploration of the process. On this episode, we're talking to Chris McCarthy, the Executive Director of the Provincetown Art Association and Museum, about the process of leadership in the arts. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. The Provincetown Art Association and Museum is a nationally recognized year-round cultural institution that fuses the creative energy of America's oldest active art colony with the natural beauty of the Outer Cape that has inspired artists for generations. Integral to the community comprising a Provincetown art colony, PAM embodies the qualities that make Provincetown an enduring American center for the arts and serves as Cape Cod's most widely attended art museum. So... Amy, what yes, do you want Julie. to learn today? Well, what I would like to learn from Chris is how do you take that heritage that uh, we just heard about and grow your organization and keep that core value of how it was founded and, and continue to serve the community? So, and Julie, what are, what are you interested in learning today? I want to learn how to get shit done. You have a reputation of getting it done. Um, So I'm hoping to learn some new techniques on being more graceful with my approach, um, poised and professional. And so I'm really excited to learn more about how Chris has been able to really move things forward in her career and um, especially at PAM. So um, on that note... So tell us everything. <laughs> yeah, we want to know everything. That's really what we want to so know. So welcome. My first response is that no one has ever associated the word graceful with me before, so that <laughs> makes me happy, I guess. <laughs> um, to start off, to to be in the position of which I am, it, it comes with great responsibility because the legacy of Pam is huge. It represents the oldest continuous art colony in America, and that fuses so many different art historical practices Artists, you know, beginning from the 1800s to the present, not only visual art, but spoken word, music, acting, poetry, writing. I mean, it really represents a a very wide range of creativity in a very small place, which is located at the end of the world and functions on a seasonal basis. So those keywords right there, geography and seasonality, are two giant challenges that I have to deal with every day. And I think that one of the hardest transitions for me coming from Boston in 2001 was how to think seasonally and think that um, immediate gratification is typically not what's going to happen. So you have to be more organized and patience is something else that has never been associated with me before either. So that's something that it's taken me a very long time to figure out how to um, manage my time really well 
and know that if I have a deadline, I have to give myself extra time because there's always going to be an issue to get to Provincetown, if it, whether it's a shipment of artwork or something that's getting printed. You know, I, I, my first week, I was like, well, where's that 24-hour Kinko's here? And people were like, oh, what? And I'm like, yeah, okay, sorry, you don't live in Boston anymore. So that those were some of the harder things to think about in terms of transitioning. And then in my, you know, early career at PAM, we decided right out of the gate that we we're going to renovate this building, which is on the National Register for Historic Places. It represents, like I said, um, a legacy that encompasses a permanent collection, gallery spaces, and a school. So how do we fit that all in our one space, get the permitting process, which I had no clue on how to deal with small town politics and how to navigate that. I know all about that now. I don't know if I can share those secrets <laughs> with you today, but maybe another day. At any rate, and then getting people to actually show up and do the work. And there were a lot of challenges, but I was young and very ambitious, much more um, tolerant, I think, than I am now. But I really was on um, a fast track to get that building done. And it wasn't about what, you know, having a beautiful building. It was about not being able to fulfill your mission. And that's what was really happening is that we have this mission, which, you know, constitutes us to be an educational institution, an exhibiting institution, and we can't do our job. You know, we're turning artworks down for our collection because we don't have space, which isn't a good excuse. So the idea of actually building a museum that was up to American Alliance of Museum Standards with the goal of being accredited, it was about thinking outside the box and it was thinking very long term. And so... When we planned, you know, to do this project, which uh, at the time, you know, it seemed like, yeah, this is going to be great. It was it was unbelievably challenging. But the outcomes after all is said and done have been beyond my wildest expectations, which I think are, are some of the reasons I stay. I continue to stay in Provincetown because there's still so much more to be done. Mm. But I also find genuine satisfaction out of being able to see things go from the cyclical process from you know, members who join, they start showing their work, they start teaching, they give a gift to the collection. Like I've seen the cycle of how mm -hmm. this works and how artists come and go, but some have been involved for 60, 70, 80 years, and they still get a lot of satisfaction out of the institution because it has a very unique model and mission. So that's kind of the premise of, I think, why I'm still here and why I'm still excited by what I do. But I also understand the responsibility of making sure that Art that's made here should stay here. Art that's not here should be brought back here for to see. And the, the school and the classes should dovetail beautifully with what's happening in the exhibitions so someone can get a whole experience of whether they're taking a class or making art or showing their art or coming to visit or seeing a film, that this is going to leave them with some kind of I don't know. I, I always think of Pam as like a safe place that, you know, it's going to either spur creativity or maybe anger or happiness or something. But you're going to get in there and you're going to leave feeling like something has been moved. Your emotions mm -hmm. have been stirred in some way. So I have a question about um, you mentioned to think more seasonally. Mm -hmm. And I know that every arts leader, including the two of us, that's a huge challenge it here in the Cape. So tell so. me more about how you think seasonally. Well, the season seems to be, some people say it's shrinking. I see us as, as a very active year-round community. However, the, the crowds definitely dwindle. And a lot of the people that support us are second and third homeowners who maybe arrive in 
May or June, and they might stay till October. But that leaves half a year that these people are kind of out of out of out of sight, out of mind, maybe for them, not for me. And so what I've had to do is kind of think about how to keep people engaged year round. And that usually means going on the road at this time of the year, going to Boston, New York, Miami, which probably would be a great place to be right now. <laughs> um, but letting people know that even though you're not there, we're not forgetting about you, so you shouldn't forget about us. The really interesting thing that I've learned, and this is on the fundraising side, is there are a lot of people in, on the Cape with means. But so many of those people, this is not their permanent residence or their number one residence. So they may give very generously in New York City or Boston, and they'll give to you, but it's not on the same level. And, right. and you'll get people that say, well, they made a million-dollar gift in New York, so you should be able to get that. It's like it doesn't work that way. And you know, they want to support the community, but it's not their first. It's their second or their third. And that, mm -hmm. that you have to start thinking that way, which means you have to cast your net wider. And for me, I think about, you know, who are the people that are coming to the Cape now? They're coming from California. They're coming from San Francisco and Los Angeles. They're coming from Washington, D.C., Boston, New York. How do you make those people think more, uh, I guess, more year-round about Pam in terms of just seasonally? And, and the fundraising piece that's the hardest is by December 31st, I have to have enough money in the bank to cover the first quarter of the year because that's where we really see the, few, the fewest people. So that was something that I really had to train myself to do and my, set my goals very differently. Like if you do a cash flow report, some people just do the same amount of money across the board. No, mine is like the crazy graph that goes up and down and up and down and up and down. So you have to really train yourself to think that way, but also to, to be able to go to the donor instead of waiting for them to come to you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's been a big piece. And so what sort of things do you do? You go to them, but what do you have happening at the museum and at the school in the winter that shows that you are a year-round organization? We, we work very, very closely with uh, youth on the Cape, K through 12, and college as well, or college-age kids as well. Those, those programs have really helped Pam operate um, in a way that it's not just having kids there, but it brings their families in and their peers. And so we're working, I think, with eight or nine schools at a time. And these kids come all the way from Harwich and Brewster to Provincetown four to five days a week. And we're offering really unique opportunities that they can't get in school. But that doesn't mean we're trying to do what, what the school isn't. We're trying to partner with the school. So the collaborative piece is absolutely essential. So collaboration on so many levels, like we do a film series in the winter, so we put, collaborate with the Provincetown Film Society. That's an art series that we, we started and we partnered with PFS, and now the movies are actually shown at the movie theater instead of at PAM. We'll still have music and lectures, but we really try to end openings, obviously. We still, I mean, we had an opening in the beginning, in the middle of January, we had like 200 people on a Friday night in January because people were excited. That was an exhibition of the fellows at the Fine Arts Work Center. So we're collaborating with the Fine Arts Work Center. So we're really trying to make sure that we have, um, we're open four days a week right now, but the offices are open every day. Classes are happening all the time. So, and, and at this time of the year, we find that the majority of our, our adult students are from the Cape because they don't want to come and take a class in August. Why would they? So we have those people that are coming and taking classes with us now. So to really try to, on the marketing side, uh, schedule 
programs and workshops that are appealing to people that are here that want to come and take a class and study with really great artists. So on the economic side of that, we're employing artists all year long as instructors. So that's really good, too. Oh, that's fantastic. <clears throat> it is um, truly thinking about it seasonally and attracting those those perfect people. Yeah. And what we try to do when we go to fundraise in other places at this time of the year is we'll choose um, a good supporter, Pam, who might have an art collection of Provincetown art, but it's somewhere else. So we love to invite people in and say, look at this collection of Provincetown art that's in New York or Boston or Florida to get people excited about, you know, you could come to Provincetown and see more of this or um, be engaged with the artists or collectors. And we talk a lot about collecting. We do a lot of collecting workshops, how to start a collection. We have wonderful people at our disposal who love to talk about the art of collecting. And, and it's just, be, you know, auction, buying at auction, that kind of thing. So we really try to tailor the programming so it's going to be engaging, but usually at someone's home or a gallery or a museum or something like that. But it's going to tie you directly so that it's maybe um, when we did – the Frankenthaler show last summer. Prior to that, we did a couple of events where we would bring one and show people and, you know, let them kind of tease a little bit about what you could see. Or we would bring new gifts to the collection during our centennial. We, we did this campaign for 100 new gifts. So we would bring a mother well or something like that, and we would let people see. And so show and tell really works. I mean, people are visual, and they want to see something. They don't want to read something. And the idea is is really utilizing our good donor base to be good stewards of Pam and even if we have to kind of set things up a little bit at a fundraiser where we have a plant in the room that's going to be like, well, I'm giving 5000 or whatever, we do that so that it will encourage people. We've encouraged people to have birthday parties at their winter homes, and instead of giving a gift to the person who doesn't need it, make a gift to Pam. So we've done that kind of stuff before. So it's really just trying to think outside the box and know that it's always going to be it's never going to be easy and you're always going to be worrying about fundraising no matter what but if you believe that what you're producing is you know has has the right the right stuff people are going to buy into that and i and that's what i found and a lot of it is building relationships the building relationship thing is key because and and one of the big myths of fundraising and i tell my board this all the time when new people come to town you get oh i was at a cocktail party and i met that new guy john and He's got a lot of money, and you should just go ask him for money. <laughs> I love and, that. And my answer is always, I'm sorry, who met John? It wasn't me. It was you. So you need to bring John to me and then let me take it from there. But I need the connections that were originally made to be brought to me so that we can continue the, the, the relationship and build it. Because the fundraising thing is it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's going to take – it's taken me in some instances years yes. before I've gotten people to give a significant gift because they're waiting and they're looking and they want to make sure that this is the right fit. And when I get, you know, someone who's got a background in Greek and Roman revival, we may not be the right fit for them, but that doesn't mean that they still won't support. It just depends. So it's really about doing your homework, building these relationships, being very social, but at the same time, I've met incredible people who have really changed my perspective about things and, and taught me really about what the Provincetown art community was really all about. I mean, I've had I just have this wealth of learning. I still learn every day. And I guess as long as that keeps going on, it's it's a good thing. So it's like give and take on both ends. I feel the same way. It's constantly learning and challenging. And so you mentioned, um, you know, a, a board member or 
anyone associated with the or, your organization. I get that a lot. Like, yeah. oh, I just met, you know, so-and-so lives in Falmouth. Yeah. You need to call them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're often, the three of us, challenged with, um, you know, developing these teams and these networks. And a lot of times they encompass the creative types. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to dig into a little bit of the weeds and the details of maybe day-to-day and managing um, dynamic people. What? Um, how do you do that effectively when you have this group of creatives, right? You, like you've built a building, you have these mm-hmm. programs going on, you have um, you're dealing with collaborating with art teachers, you're collaborating with local artists. Um, so, in the best case scenario, in the corporate world, right? That's difficult. Mm-hmm. Now bring that into a creative nonprofit with limited resources. What's that like, and how do you uh, navigate? What's some of your techniques or s- strategies? Um, luckily, I'm I'm always so busy that I'm not a micromanager, which has been a really good thing. I'm, I, don't, I don't like to be micromanaged, so I'm not a micromanager. The way that that I work with my staff, for example is we are a team and there isn't really a hierarchy and it's it's this is what needs to get happen needs to happen everyone breaks out you know you're responsible for this you're responsible for this and i expect that it's going to happen and in a lot of cases it does and if if you need help you have to ask for help because that's the one other thing i'm not a mind reader i'm not a referee and i'm not your mother those are the three <laughs> things that i refuse to be and but so if you need help you have to ask for help because i'm happy to be there for you and so is everybody else. And I think that we've right now in, in this day, my my staff is dynamite, and they're they range in age from, I don't know, like twenty four to seventy or sixty eight or something like that. And it's amazing. Everyone brings a different level of how they work. I don't want everyone to work the same way. I want you to work in the way that you're the most productive. So if you're working on a grant and you need to go write that at home, you go right up right away. Just go do that. That's fine. I just expect that it's going to get done, and and when it's supposed to. And so we check in. You know, we have staff meetings, but it's, you know, everyone is in such close proximity that you can really check in and see how things are going. So I think staff-wise, we have a very good model, and it works like that. With the board, it's a little bit different. I have very active board members, and I have some that aren't as active, you know, and and, and really there are the ones that say, call me when you need my help. I don't want to volunteer for something if it's not what I like. So let, let me know when you need my help and I'll be there for you. So there's that one group. Then I have ones that are on lots of committees and show up for meetings and love to do that stuff. So that's one group. And then I have ones that are like, I'm not doing anything, but I'm going to write you a check. And I'm like, love them too. Yeah. So it's that's <laughs> the balance of the personalities. And we require that you sit on at least one committee. There are some people that like to sit on three committees. I have people who love to come in and set up for events and like be part of that kind of thing. So, And the other really fortunate thing is that we have 250-something volunteers on an annual basis. And this ranges from the board level to I'm going to come in and help you stuff envelopes kind of thing. And so that, we would never be able to do the amount of programming that we do successfully without the volunteer base. And that's been really great because it's, you know, a lot of people may be retired or they're just looking for a couple hours a week or 20 hours. And then we have an internship program in the summertime where we get fabulous interns who are really committed to wanting to work in a creative field. And when you work in a small organization, 
you're not paired with one person. You get to kind of flip-flop between departments and see how everything comes together. And for me, I'm one of those people, like, I know what the, the beginning is, and I know what the end game is. And then when I watch it all kind of fall into place, I know if it's going to work or if it isn't. And if it isn't, then we have to do a little triage. But in, if, if, if when things really go according to plan, if it's, a, if it's a practical, logical plan, that's the other thing. I don't try to think outside of our resource box or what could actually, or the reality box, really. Because, you know, we do get grandiose ideas like this. We have to do this and this and this, but I know if this is really going to work or if it isn't. And maybe mm -hmm. it's because I've been here too long, but I at least, I guess I, that's my, I think one of my best strengths is that I'm practical and that I'm realistic. But that doesn't mean I don't like to think about pie in the sky. It's just I know what's going to happen and what isn't. Yeah, the reality of things. Yep. Um, I want to go back a little and talk about collaboration mm -hmm. because you gave me some very good advice when I started in my position. And you said if somebody comes to you and they want to work with you, say yes. And then just what you were saying, yeah. figure out how it can work. Yep. So let's talk about how important collaboration is, especially on Cape Cod. Well, one of the biggest things that we all know is that we're all competing for the same pools in many, many instances for the same pools of money. And so if we're all offering different missions or some with some overlap, why not collaborate? Because that not only pools your resources, but it pools your constituencies, which again, overlap. So we've definitely done, um, like right now we do a program called START with the Fine Arts Work Center and it's young people, but it's the fellows who are actually mentoring the students. So it's a collaboration between the two of us. And that works really well. Um, we And like I said, the film series with the Film Society, I mean, and I always think that if instead of competing, because when I came to the Cape Cod, I was shocked at how little collaboration there was in between Provincetown, Truro, and Wellfleet. I was just amazed. I was like, but but you're all like right there. Why don't you talk to each other? And how come that doesn't work? So it was like, I was, oh, right. I mean, again, I was so naive too. I was just like, sure, let's do this and let's do that. And then you eventually figure out what are the most lucrative ones? Were these great <laughs> partnerships that you've developed, how you work with the other team? And what makes the most sense for, for the organizations? Because I've had people come and want to collaborate with us, and they expect that we're going to do everything because we have the space, we have staff, and all that. I'm like, it doesn't work that way. It's like really being clear about what each of you want to get out of it because it could be different things, how you're going to partner, and who are, how, you, how you kind of dole out the responsibilities. But I think that collaborating truly, and it can bring organizations together or people who might be um, prone to one organization might learn so much about the other one and then they kind of spread a little bit more and, and they enjoy because I mean if I think about all of the different things that happen in a week and it doesn't have to be in the summer either the different programs readings you know all that kind of stuff you could be busy every day if you if you pick and choose to be but the idea and a lot of that is through collaboration because the organizations are doing things together and I like that I think and then yeah. with the big 2020 coming up the Provincetown mm -hmm. 400 that has to be a collaboration between all the organizations. It, it can't be just a few. All of us have to Absolutely. be involved in that. And it even goes beyond the your fellow cultural organizations, oh, too. Yeah. I find that when we partner with kind of unexpected um, collaborators, that our donors go wild over it. Yeah, you know, definitely. And so it, it is. It's cool. And I think that the 400 is going to show mm -hmm. how um, arts and culture really overlap into – um, many different sectors. And, and the businesses, too. Like, a lot of times when we have people coming in for something, you know, they'll ask our recommendations. Where should they eat or where should they stay? And, we, and you know, the beautiful thing about Provincetown is there's original artwork everywhere in restaurants and 
in hotels and guest houses. So we like to pair. We like to recommend places. We really think you'd like this place because it's here and it's got this and it was close to this. And, you know, we try we try to really tailor bringing people out in, from out of town into town to have a good experience. We And the other thing is a lot of our, our donors are generous about um, letting people stay in their homes or that kind of thing. And you come to these, like, amazing restored houses or historic houses. So you, you get just, like, the real experience. And I think that's what we can do when we – bring guests in or guest speakers or guest lectures like for the Frankenthaler show we brought really heavy hitter New York art historians to Provincetown some of whom had never really been here or hadn't been here in years we laid out the red carpet but not like a Provincetown red carpet not where everything was like she she but it was real and it was like meeting the real people going to so and so studio getting that experience because it's right down the street everything is right down the street right. And that that people, I couldn't believe how many people said we can't wait to come back. And that was really wonderful for us to hear because we were able to pull off a project that took four plus years, but reintroduce so many new people or introduce so many new people to what we do. And now we hope that they'll come back. So it's exciting. I mean, it's always changing. And I think that's right. good. And some people very opposed to change, but it's just the way it is. And so you have to roll with it. And, and you can't just be like, nope, this is the way we do it. We're not changing you're going to have to do it. And that's all. And that's why I love having younger people on my staff as well, because their minds, I I need a handbook for that. But <laughs> but they, they come up with these ideas that are just like, I like especially technology centric and, you know, doing the whole, you know, social media kind of thing. It's amazing what they can do and how they make those stories and include, you know, what's happening in the galleries and how they preview shows on, on social media and all that kind of stuff. But I've seen really great results come from that arena as well, something that I would never be capable of doing. So I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it, this whole generation has added so much capacity. Yes. Like one person that you hire that knows about social media yeah. can really add so much it capacity. Does. And, and I never want to, and there are things that I just can't do. And I don't want it, like, I don't want to learn how to make stories on Instagram. Right. I think someday maybe I will. I don't know. But by the time I will, something else will be in it'll place. Be, it'll be old. Like Snapchat. I can't do that. But they can do that. Snap and I, what? I know. Just kidding. And, yeah. and, and I like that they do that stuff because it, it, you know, it reaches out to their peers. And I love that stuff because mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of middle of the road in, in the age chain there. But I think that that's really been helpful in terms of seeing our young kids, like the young kids that come, you know, we got all new computers for them one year and they're like, I'm like, oh, we have to go call the computer guy. They're like, oh no, we, we know how to put these together. You don't need to do that. I was like, yay. I was like, oh, that's good. I'm like, and then for me, it's like, I can't do anything. I'm like, can you come and fix this for me? Sure. You know, I, I love that. Like, that's right. good. Hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned, um, you know, leading these projects, you've led many different projects over the course of your career at Pam. Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you've learned along the way to help move projects along? Um, letting you, the team, whoever you've amassed for this, that everybody needs to have their own responsibility. And the more that you allow people to take charge of something, the more invested they become in the project and in the place. So that has been fantastic. And I couldn't agree more. It, yeah. it really is. And the more, you know, when I have people come to me with new ideas, mm -hmm. you own it. It's your idea. You know, let's we have to figure out how we're going to fund it first. But you own it. You you take it and go. And of course, we'll provide support and what we can do. But I think that that's been a great way to get people engaged, just by allowing them to run with something. And when we, and I get a lot of people that come and they want to do stuff in our space, whether it's 
you know, films, screenings or readings. And, you know, obviously it needs to relate to our mission and what we're doing. But I think it's I think having different voices, different you know, ways of looking at things are really good. And as much as we try to link things to the exhibitions that are happening, like we're doing an exhibition this this spring of a photographer named Just Duggan who did this whole series of aging transgender people. And it's a traveling show. It's coming from St. Louis. And they're really, really unbelievable photographs. But she worked with a clinical psychologist and there are interviews with these people as well so it takes it to the next level so I'm hoping that's going to open up some different dialogue for us especially having um, question three pass about trans rights mm-hmm. that's something that's becoming more um, visible in our communities and that's something that I think is important mm-hmm. so it's not like I try to hit on every major trend but I think it's it's interesting to balance something from 1905 to something that's happening now. And and one of the things I love to, and when I curate shows, I love to kind of curate some, an, like a space or one, one, one view of Provincetown and look at how it's been resurrected from the early 1900s to now. People are still looking at the same thing they were looking at when the art colony started, but the way that they um, perceive things and the way that they create things are all different. And I love that. And I love that you and I could look at Long Point and you could see one thing and I can see something else. And I think the idea that we allow people to their creativity, there's no limits on the creativity. You can do what you want. And I think that's one of the great things too. We don't censor, we don't, you know, try to put, you know, caps on things. It's like how you see it should be the way that, you know, we present it. And I feel strongly about that. And that's hard when you have 300 plus artists in an exhibition trying to make sense of that. It's difficult. But I think we have a good system down and we've been doing it long enough. But what I really try to do is is have whoever is involved in a project to be as inclusive and let them feel like you can do it here, but you have to do it our way. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. And that's really something that I love and appreciate about Pam is the openness, the welcomeness. You know, you join and you are a part of that community and you're able to participate in open shows and maybe lucky enough to be juried into a show. And so what do you hear back from artists and and people about uh, being part of that community? There's always a buzz on the drop-off day. People are excited to come in. I I think it it really is exciting. Drop-off day is really exciting because you're seeing what everybody else is making. I mean, on an open show, drop-off day, you know, everyone's going to get in the show. So that's exciting. But one of the things we hear a lot is that, there's a Hans Hoffman hanging in the next gallery, or I get to be next to an Edward Hopper, you know, like that kind of thing. And that's really exciting to me because when people, you know, we will get, you know, sometimes a little, you know, people say, well, you don't have enough member shows. And I can tell you, every show we do is a member show. They may not be alive anymore, but they were members once upon a time. So we do stick to the, the model of, of having members show in our spaces, having members be part of our governance, the whole nine. It really, it really hasn't changed. Our mission statement hasn't changed since 1921, and I don't want it to change because it's true, and it holds true to, to what we do and the value of the institution. But I do think that, you know, I, when I meet people who first come to town, we have a few realtors on our board, and when new people come and buy a house, they get a PAM membership. That's what they get as their welcome That's gift. Great. And I can't tell you how many people are like, it's the first place I went, and I felt really welcome there, and I saw something that I loved, and, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I love that idea of, of people knowing that if they walk into the space, it's going to be, you know, there's always a welcoming presence there, <laughs> or there should be at any rate. But, it, but it's... <laughs> there is. Yeah. There always is. And, and, I, and I've done a lot of research to try to find other organizations that are unique to a school 
a museum, a collection, and a membership that offer as many opportunities as we do to show your work during the year. And I can't find any. And I'm glad about that because it also helps us balance between youth education, our membership, the collections, artists that we're bringing in from other places, you know, like Helen Frankenthaler. I mean, it really is exciting so that if you walk into the museum, there are five spaces that typically you will find A to Z. So there's something you're going to walk away with and be, that was that moved me or I loved it or I hated it or whatever. So Mm -hmm. I feel strongly about the balance within our programming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, I have one last question. Okay. So I know that you're a very busy executive director. (laughs) And it's it's extraordinarily busy in the summer for you guys. And and now I know off you know, season, it's all so busy. What are some of, and I know you and I have had this conversation before, and I always find it fascinating what people do for self-care and do you have any rituals or habits that you do? Well, walking my dog is is number one. And Mm -hmm. every morning, I don't care what the weather is because I have to, but I go to usually Herring Cove. If it's too windy, I'll go to Beach Forest, but that's how I start. And the water, I've always lived by the water, even growing up. And There's something about the water for me that is truly calming. My favorite off-season activity is I go clamming on Sundays. And (laughs) clamming is, not only is it really good exercise and you're out there, but the the banter amongst locals when you're clamming is some of the best I've ever heard. Can't repeat any of it on this, but (laughs) I have to say it's, it's unbelievably gratifying to be out on the flats at low tide. So beautiful. And I think that's one of the things... At this time of the year in particular, how much I appreciate how beautiful Provincetown is. I mean, honestly, I'll be so honest with you. If I didn't have to be here in July and August, I wouldn't be. I would be anywhere else. The the chaos of July and August, I mean, I'm in my office a lot and I'm at Pam a lot, but it really, I, my rituals get very disrupted in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> so we miss summer. I, yeah, 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 I don't have summer. I don't have summer either. And, and yeah. so my, my morning ritual and my clamming ritual, those those are, they really ground me quite a bit. Um I, I walk a lot. I love to walk around. I love to take rides. Like it's, I still get lost in Truro. I don't know where Truro Center is. I've tried to find that for 18 <laughs> years. I don't know where it is. But I do. I like to take rides. I like to go out to you know, Boundbrook Island, and I like to just tool around and kind of explore. I just still think there are so many things I've never seen before that I like to walk in, 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 the, in the, the trails and in the dunes and things like that. I've really come to love the landscape of Cape Cod. I absolutely love it. And I did not come to Cape Cod as a kid. We were in the in the Connecticut shore, and we were in Long Island beaches, and my roommate in college had a house in Old Silver Beach in Falmouth. That's the first time I went to the Cape, but I was a sophomore in college. And I was like, wow, these beaches are really nice. And then as I when I moved to Boston and I kept coming, starting to come to Cape Cod, I was like, this is such an extraordinarily beautiful place, and I really love that. I've learned how to garden here. I like to garden. My house right now is full of plants that, you know, are, it looks like a jungle, but I love that. So that that's something, and I love to cook. So those are my kind of off-season-ish things that keep me grounded. But the fact that I have a dog, I have to leave to walk my dog in the day, too. I don't have a dog walker. So I leave in the middle of the day, and I walk my dog. And that helps me balance, blow off any kind of steam I need to, gets me away, gets me outside, and then I come back, and I'm ready to go. Mm. So there's – and I obviously have – I have – I don't know. I, I I love what I do so much. Like I don't separate myself because I am I am Pam. I'm like, you know, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I love it and I'm and I'm I love what I do. I love the people I work with. I love what I learn. I I, I always know I know myself and if I get bored 
or, or everything becomes too predictable, then I know it's time to move on. But it hasn't gotten that. I still can't predict my day, which is good and bad. And I love that people pop in or, you know, things pop up that I had no idea would happen. And I still discover that I'm still in my discovery phase, I guess, which has been fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing because it's. I, I agree. I never know what my day is going to look like. I always think, okay, I got this. Yeah, you know, I have a to do list. Then, and, you know, then something happens. Yeah, something. Happens. Com- yeah. yeah, something comes up, and you're like, oh, I, I also think that part of the equation is to be able to think on your feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm one of those people. Like, there, if there's something that's really tough, like I need like maybe 24 hours, I really have to sleep on it and think about it. But gut reaction, like I've trusted my gut in a lot, of, and, and I'm not always right by any means, but. I think that you have to be able to think quick on your feet and you have to be mm-hmm. able to make decisions quickly and not give it too much thought because then I think overthinking or overanalyzing never ends up in, in a great result. So that's something that I've learned how to do too. Great so, leadership advice. Yeah. And I think uh, there's a theme emerging emerging here about leadership and that's trust, trusting yourself, Absolutely. trusting your staff, yes, trusting, trusting your, your patrons, mm-hmm. your donors, your yep. board. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's all, all about trust and, and yeah. believing in each other. It is. And, and one of the I think one of the most special things is getting invited to people's homes, especially people who have very long connections or, or to generational connections. And you see, you know, especially for me, artwork. I mean, I, I usually am casing places to think about how I'm going to get <laughs> things off the walls. But the idea, though, that people are so open and love to have you be part of, you know, their story. And and that's been one of the things, because I, I could be Barbara Walters. Like, I love to, to interview people to the point where I just really want to get to know more about you. And I, I found there are so many fascinating people who have come to the Cape, and they have levels of expertise and so many things that you would never even know. And my question, how did you get here? Why are you still here? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And Sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, stop it. And you're like harassing these people. But I just it's because I just want to learn more about why they're here and and why they stay. Because people say, are you going to stay here forever? I'm like, well, I don't know that. But I I know that right now I wake up every day and I'm happy and I I go to work and I'm happy and I come home and I'm happy. And I and I really appreciate, I think, more than ever how lucky I am to do what I pick to do in a place like this. And not many people can say that. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on the Creative Exchange yes. podcast. We've enjoyed our time together, as we always do when we talk to you, mm-hmm. and we really appreciate your your knowledge and sharing thank with, you. with everyone. And I'm happy to do it. Thanks so much. This is a great idea. Support for the Creative Exchange podcast is made possible by Delbrook JKS. Music for the Creative Exchange podcast is the work of Jordan Renzi. Produced in association with Billingsgate Records by Jordan Renzi and Andrew Staker at Big Red Studios in Wellfleet. The Creative Exchange Podcast is brought to you by the Arts Foundation of Cape Cod, Provincetown Community Television, and the Cultural Center of Cape Cod in South Yarmouth. In the desert to the oasis. This time